0: Welcome to Through the Word, a podcast series connected to our current Sunday sermons. Join us as we explore the book of Romans. Well, welcome back to episode seven of Through the Word. This is our study, our podcast series uh, in the book of Romans. And I'm so glad to have friends with me again, sharing these moments of discussion around God's word. Pastor Matt, Luke, thanks for coming back, guys and for sharing some wisdom and what God has been teaching you as we share this with others who are watching and listening. By the way, if you've missed any episodes, either audio or video, you can go and check those out for sure. Uh, Emmanuel Plus is one location, but Spotify and others as well. So check those out. Anyway, here we are in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 25. If you're watching at home, grab your Bible and check these out with us. Watch as we go through the text together. So the first few chapters of Romans other than the last little bit of chapter 3, really are hard chapters because they, we are confronted by the sin that is in all of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, the end of chapter 1 is just this litany. And chapter 2, just heavy things of what we are all guilty of. And so the question that I'm asking, and maybe others are asking too, is there anyone ungodly enough that God cannot or will not save them? Okay. Think about that.
1: I think even the, the flow of Romans trying to get across to us that everybody comes before God uh, absolutely as a sinner who's already rejected him. Uh, you think of what Paul even writes in Ephesians 2, right? We're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Mm-hmm. And it, it just like emphasizes for us that the only way that we could possibly come into salvation is if God did something for us. And so this is why I think in chapter four, verse five, Paul is illustrating what he's already shown us in chapter three about Jesus's atoning sacrifice that we enter into, we receive uh, by faith. And he says in verse five, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So for anyone who had maybe asked the question like, am I too ungodly or is that person too ungodly? Mm I hear verse 5 just says that those are the ones who God justifies, mm-hmm. the ungodly. Mm-hmm. People like Paul, people like you, people like me.
2: And what's, what's actually really beautiful then about that is just realizing that, that God's grace and what Christ has done on the cross overwhelms our brokenness. I mean, the other Sunday we sang, our sins there are many, His mercy is more. And that's drawn from the passage in, I believe it's, it's Romans 1, uh, that talks about the reality of like mercy triumphing over judgment. And the the reality that as we look at a question like this that says, is anyone ungodly enough? I'm in the same boat as the most ungodly, broken, messed up sinners on the planet. Like the ground is level at the foot of the cross for us in that. But the scope of our sin is dwarfed by the scope of God's grace for us and forgiveness for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And so as, as Matt says, we're born into this reality of rejecting God and that being a one of the key characteristics of our ungodliness but the response to rejection is to open our hands and receive Mm -hmm. and that's what makes all the difference so as an average pastor Mm
0: -hmm. evangelistic uh, minded as you are and and skilled don't you see this sometimes in people as you're talking to them I have before where they say I couldn't possibly become a Christian I'm too bad God can't receive me God can not accept me I've got this and this and this I've done in my past and my family history is terrible, and so I'm in
2: that line of sin, and like you know, I'm I'm a hopeless cause. What yeah, well, it's well, it's 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 one side of kind of two sides of a coin that I'd love to unpack because both have to do with self-justification. Because mm-hmm. you may have had that experience of what Lee just described of people saying, "There's no way God could love me or forgive me," but then on the flip side, you've probably had conversations or, with or heard people say. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm mm-hmm. actually, I'm a really good person. Yeah, I, I, I believe in God. I try to obey the law. You know, Maybe they might even say, I work really hard to obey what the Bible says. I'm a good person. I'm a good person, mm-hmm. yeah. And mm-hmm. what what those two dynamics are basically saying is that a person is looking at their, at their life and saying, my ability to experience God's saving grace depends solely on my performance, which we talked about this when we talked about Romans 2 back on October 1st. That's what toxic religion is. It's saying your standing before God depends on your ability to perform. And that's what the gospel just blows out of the water. It's Hmm. saying your standing before God depends on Christ's ability to fulfill everything God commanded and our ability then, our response, of receiving that on our behalf.
1: There's this word that pops up in chapter four, like a ton, and it's the word counted. And it's the very thing that Luke's talking about, is that like if we want God to count our good works for our salvation, uh, then God's also going to count our evil works, the wicked things that we do. And so the, the illustration of David in, in verse 7 and 8 from Psalm 32, you get this phrase, Blessed is the man uh, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And, it, and it's like the blessed person, the person who's accepted by God, who's divinely favored, is not the one who's done good works. It's the one who God actually has not counted their sin against them, hmm. whose like works are almost like forgotten, right? right. And uh, that kind of takes us into a place of where we would ask like, how
0: can that be? Hmm. Yeah. And isn't that liberating, yeah. as believers in Christ, to know that it's not up to me mm-hmm. for my salvation. It's already been provided. It's a gift. I receive that through Christ by faith, and it's liberating, mm-hmm. for now and for eternity. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, hey, there's an interesting phrase in verse 17. I wonder if we could unpack that for a moment. Here's what verse 17 says in Romans four: "He is our Father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were." There's a lot there. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? So there's like
1: a few ways that you can translate this. If you look at like the old NIV or the KJV, there's this idea of him like calling things which are not as though they were, uh, which sort of leaves it in this sort of like nebulous zone of like what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then some of the more modern translations uh, will have this phrase that God gives Life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Uh, I think both just like fairly clearly are speaking of creation, right? God speaks and things coming come into existence. Uh, that God says, "Let there be light," and light exists. Um, but obviously, here it it has a, a little bit more um, meaning pertaining to the idea of like a recreative mm-hmm. moment. In the lives of believers, yeah,
2: yeah, God recreating us spiritually, but also like the eternal promise. You think of Revelation: the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Like that's this anticipation of like God doing something that's very tactile, like very tangible and physical in our lives and in our world that we haven't yet totally experienced. And I think a bit of the tension point here in that is then to say, well, like how do we, how do we live into that? almost that that promise in a way like that God is a God who tells his people he's going to do certain things and then he promises that he will do the, do those things but even as we see in Jesus the fulfillment of so many Old Testament prophecies and promises mm-hmm. we are still living from a place where we're anticipating the fulfillment of those and and something that has helped me a little bit you guys are welcome to speak into it or not is just thinking about living in light of eternity living in light of God's promises almost kind of like uh, the engagement season So I think back to when I got engaged to my now wife, Emily. Now, there had been words spoken that in a way kind of of created a new reality of of engagement, right? And expensive jewelry Uh given. (laughs) I love you on that, right? (laughs) Um, And what that meant was that I was looking forward to a promise being fulfilled, that coming together like in marriage. What that meant also is that the way that I was living, Changed in that I, I wasn't gonna be like saving up money for some sort of sports something other for me. I'm thinking about financial plans for marriage. Uh, I'm not. If someone comes up to me and says like, if a girl's like, hey, you wanna go on a date or you wanna hang out, I'm saying like, no. I'm like, mm. promise to this person. I'm I'm living towards a future reality that in a way is already here because I'm already engaged, mm. but isn't yet here because we're not yet married. That covenant hasn't been fi- like fully established but I'm going to live in a way now that demonstrates to the world around me that I'm promised to this person mm-hmm. and that I'm anticipating the fulfillment of that promise. And so I think part of what's happening here too, like, like God promises Abraham that through him, all of the earth is going to be blessed. And yes, Abraham lives to see him and his wife have a son, but there's so much of that he doesn't see. No. But he's still called to live in a way that anticipates that promise being fulfilled. And so it's kind of beautiful to think about mm-hmm. That we right now, as we say yes to believe the promises of God, to let those define reality for us is that we're living into a promise that is hurtling forward in its fulfillment even though we haven't yet seen it. We're, we're almost participating in the early stages of something good and glorious coming true. Mm-hmm. Uh, that reminds me a little bit of the beginning of Hebrews chapter
0: 11, hmm. concept of faith seeing things that are not because it's by faith so this is what the first couple verses say in hebrews 11. now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see this was what the ancients were commended for like abraham in our text here by faith we understand that the universe was formed at god's command so that what is seen was not made of what was visible it actually reminds me before we move on to another question it reminds me of um the songwriter that I referenced last Sunday Fanny Crosby who wrote mm. Blessed Assurance she mm. was literally blind physically blind wrote hundreds of hymns and another songwriter in her day described her as her heart can see mm. said that of her her heart can see and so she by faith was able to understand salvation yeah. and write all about it even though yeah. physically she missed so much of what we can observe about the Lord yeah. but her heart saw mm-hmm. that's
1: beautiful. really cool there's a uh, if you know you're watching this and you're interested you can google this uh, but john calvin on his commentary on romans he talks about how the christian life is one lived hope against hope mm. where you're living in a particular situation where you're surrounded by the world Uh, God says something about you, but then your existence in the world is quite other, right? So God says uh, that you are justified, or that you are righteous, or that you are alive, and yet uh, you're hurtling towards death, and you're sinful, all of these sorts of things, right? Mm. Where like God says something true of you, but your lived experience says something uh, somewhat otherwise, right? And John Kelvin actually says that you should close your eyes Mm. to all of the things that are going on around you, in order to sort of put out of mind all of the things that would distract you from the reality of what's true in Christ. Mm. And so it's pretty amazing, just the, mm. the overlap of the idea of not seeing and yet
0: seeing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to Romans 4, because there's a big concept here that might help, be helpful for people. Uh, many times in this text, there's a word called righteousness. Mm-hmm. And connected to that is a doctrine that we call justification. And so maybe it's time to dig a little bit deeper into that term. What is justification?
1: Yeah, I remember when I first figured out what justification was uh, I was like in grade 8 and my dad had this big dusty book on a shelf uh, like a systematic theology by Burkoff or something. And I took it off and I read it and I remember just being struck that uh, sanctification, God's making us holy, is something that happens throughout our life, right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna battle against sin until the day we die and uh, it's, a, it's a good fight that we ought to fight against, right? Fight against sin, become holy, become like Jesus. But that, that can only happen and does only happen because of something God's already done in us. Mm-hmm. That we believe on Jesus and that, like Paul says in Second Corinthians, uh, he became sin, he took on our sin so that we might become the very righteousness of God. There's an exchange there where we give up our sinfulness and take on his righteousness. And before God, positionally, it, it is now something that is our status where we are righteous before him. And from that, from that freedom, from that position, from that relationship of peace with God, we can now begin to live righteously right Mm -hmm.
0: it's quite it's quite significant so you use the term status I believe just now Mm -hmm. another term is standing we have a standing before the Lord here's a monstrous book I'll show you (laughs) this thing's a huge thing but here's what this book says about about the idea this righteous standing is granted freely by divine grace and is based on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ so he did for me what I could not do for myself this gracious declaration of righteousness eliminates all human boasting mm-hmm. and places both Gentiles and Jews on equal footing. It's a beautiful phrase. Mm-hmm. Jesus' sacrificial death displays the justice of God in declaring sinners to be righteous on the basis of faith. Yeah. A righteous standing. It's beautiful justification. Yeah. And we know
1: how freeing it is when like somebody treats us as though we are good. Mm. It motivates us to be good. When somebody treats us as though... Uh, we may have something to contribute we then contribute right mm-hmm. and it's like to know that God sees me righteous and will not condemn me mm-hmm. uh, really frees me to live as I am which is a, a really
2: encouraging thing it might be a bit of a late hearted example but what I think about when I hear that is that if you've traveled internationally and, and I spent some time living overseas as a young person It's funny to see what stereotypes people in certain countries hold of foreigners from different parts of the world. So, for example, for for me living in Southeast Asia, um, there sometimes could be certain stereotypes of the British because of colonialism or Mm. stereotypes of the Americans because of communism in the war in Vietnam but they really liked Canadians and so a lot of people would go backpacking and put Canadian flags on their backpacks mm. uh, even if they weren't Canadian why uh, because people just assumed oh there's a Canada flag Canadians like we like these guys and you could be a terrible person you could be like the worst tourist mm. showing up there but oh you've got your Canadian flag so like we're gonna assume that you're a quality person to so to Matt's point it's this place of this like undeserved Standing of like, oh, this is a quality person. Again, a lighthearted example, and regardless of what country you're from, hopefully you're a good tourist. Okay. But it kind of helps me make sense of this in my own heart and mind. Yeah,
0: that's cool. So I've heard a, a definition of justification. You break the word down. You've probably heard this before. It's sort of like, just if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just if I'd never sinned. Is that true? Is that sort of what God sees us to be? As if we never sinned? Or does he choose to know that we've sinned but ignore it or push it away or as the Bible says, he's buried our sins in the depths of the sea. Like how does that work?
1: Hmm. Uh, It's a bit tricky to say maybe, right? Like it's not like God all of a sudden forgets, right? It's not like forgiveness requires you not knowing something that you knew, right? Mm -hmm. We just know that God knows all things so it'd be like wild to say all of a sudden he doesn't know that. But it does mean that he doesn't treat us as though that were true of us, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like the depths of God's forgiveness is that he treats us as though what we have done was never done. That we were never in rebellion against him. And uh, yeah, we just just really see that. I mean, in this passage, when it says that uh, at the very end, it applies it to us. And it says, this is why his faith, Abraham's faith, was credited as righteous but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe on him who raised the, uh, from the dead Jesus our Lord who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification uh, that like it is this exchange now where mm-hmm. what is true of Christ is true of us mm-hmm. because he has taken on what was true of us and now that is how God sees us that is our status and standing before him
2: and that, that exchange leads us to what Tim Culler says is, is a trust transfer, hmm. that what, what we are standing on and confident in is no longer our source of confidence. And I mean, I think of extreme camp. Some of you have counseled extreme camp. Some of you have attended as kids. And you know that if you go caving at Metcalf Rock, there's an element that is usually the most nerve-wracking element called the leap of faith and you're on one huge slab of rock and you have to step across this gap, this chasm with like multiple foot drop onto this other huge amount of rock. Uh, take hold of this tree. And to make that step, the only way you can make that step is if you commit your weight forward. Mm-hmm. You can't lean back and kind of put a toe out a little bit. You can't even stretch forward with your arms. You have to commit your body weight to stepping fully off of the one rock and on to the other. And, For extreme camp purposes, it's meant to be confidence-boosting, but for this illustration, it's to cause us to realize, like, this is what we're doing. We're not the rock. We're not the secure foundation, but we recognize that we are seeing what Jesus has done and that we're committing our weight forward. We're fully stepping on to that. We're finding that as our foundation. We're transferring our weight. We're transferring our trust from one foundation that is ultimately compromised to the ultimate reliable foundation. So if Christ has given me
0: his righteousness. The old term is imputed, you know, transferred, uh, given, credited to me, his righteousness. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Does that mean I no longer need to live in righteousness because I received it from him? Do I have responsibility there still? I think
1: Luke in... In chapter 2 of Romans when he preached he gave like a really great illustration that's like historical I don't know if you like grabbed it from history but it's like historically rich where it just speaks of good works being the fruit of what's true of the root right mm-hmm. okay oh, and so if we have like this root of faith uh, there is no like antecedent work to our coming to faith in Jesus Christ our work Our our faith isn't even a work, right? It's something that God has given. And so, like, as God saves us by faith alone, that is the root. That is the foundation of our faith, which then, like, grows into a living thing, right? And this is why James will regularly say, like, faith without works is dead. dead. Mm -hmm. A tree without fruit, like, what's the point of the tree, Mm -hmm. right? So the fruit of righteousness is uh, indicative of a true and living faith, which is how we are made righteous right mm-hmm. so the the righteous works come out of that that root of faith
2: and what's incredible is you know paul in romans 4 is referencing two giants of hebrew history in abraham and then in king david and as we know abraham struggled to always believe god's promise had a child ishmael because he was impatient and mm-hmm. questioned that so he didn't always live in that exchange david commits adultery is it? has a part in, in Uriah's murder. So obviously he himself also didn't fully live into what God had given him. And yet what's beautiful is that in Romans 4, David's actually quoted from Psalm 32, "'Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, "'whose sins are covered. "'Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord "'will never count against them.'" Mm. And so that's what Paul's getting at here. He's highlighting two people that are like paragons and yet they failed massively. And he's mm. saying, see, that's, that's part of the point exactly. God used these men, He worked through their lives, and they were considered righteous. Why? Because they ultimately put their trust and their faith in in the living God. Mm -hmm. Those are good
0: words. Thanks, Luke and Matt. Uh, Let me just share a a verse as we conclude our time here today from Hebrews 12 this time. First couple verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's from Hebrews 11, all those people of the Old Testament who by faith did certain things, including Abraham and David, who we've seen today. Therefore, since we're surrounded by that group of godly people and sinners, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's a beautiful word. And so, child of God, we're rooting for you in Christ. Serve him today and always. God bless you. We'll see you next time. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Emmanuel Plus on YouTube.